This is episode 35 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Happy New Year, my extraordinary women friends. I hope you've had time and space to slow down, to be with family, to be with friends, and even time and space for your own inner peace as we wrap up 2017. I'm so thankful you've been on this journey with me over the first nine months of Extraordinary Women Radio. And as I reflect on the stories and the wise women wisdom that I've been able to share here with you, I'm so honored. And I'm really excited about today's interview, the first of the 2018 inductees to the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. Passion, commitment, spirit, grit, and grace. These are the characteristics shared by the women that will be enshrined into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame in March 2018. These characteristics, passion, commitment, spirit, Grit and Grace are so aligned with what I want to share with you here on Extraordinary Women Radio. You can see why I'm so thrilled to partner with them to be able to tell these stories. In March 2018, Colorado will induct 10 new women into their Hall of Fame, something that is done every other year. Six contemporary honorees and four historical honorees into an an exclusive class that has now grown to 152 women. My friend, Beth Barella, who is the chair of the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame, says, These women are unsung heroes who have endured with superlative strength, beauty, and love. They deserve to have their stories told and to be honored as shining examples of the potential of all women. Over the next few months, I'll be bringing you the stories of six contemporary women who will be honored at the March 28, 2018 inductee gala. Today's guest, Jerry Grimes, is the first inductee that I'm featuring. Jerry is an early childhood educator, education activist, and leader of Colorado's nonprofit, the Hope Center. She has dedicated 36 years of her life to the Hope Center and to creating the opportunity for all children to have a better early childhood education experience. She has led Hope Center for the past 12 years as president and CEO. Her leadership, intelligence, and expertise has made Denver's Hope Center a model for how all children deserve the best education, no matter race or level of capability that society has labeled them. We talk about how important it is to be a voice at the table, even when the conversations are hard. Leading change when we want to make a difference. We talk about the importance of reaching out and helping others. And of course, we end with three pearls of wisdom from Jerry, which are particularly rich today. I'm excited to be learning from these trailblazing women. Let's dig in and meet Jerry Grimes. Well, welcome, Jerry. First of all, I want to say congratulations on being named a Colorado Women's Hall of Fame inductee. What an honor. Thank you so much, and hello to you as well. Yeah, and so how did it feel? Tell us a story about how you found out. Well, I received a telephone call, and when I received the telephone call, I was at work, and I think I was a little bit in shock and surprise, but (laughs) 
at the same time, very ecstatic that somebody would nominate me and then they would feel I was worthy to be the inductee in the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. So it kind of takes me, and I think each day it builds on me. Each day I realize how significant this is um, as the days go along. Oh, absolutely. It is so significant. I mean, it's you, you've been written into history in Colorado, so that's so cool. So very, yeah. very cool. <laughs> yes. So I, I want to dig into your story a little bit about, you've been 36 years, you've spent 36 years of your life at the Hope Center in Denver. Tell us what your journey has been like being CEO and president of the Hope Center or getting to the place where you were because you didn't start there 36 years ago. But tell us about that journey of, of, of being there for so long and what's, what has it been like to be part of an organization like this for so long and really what's kept you there? Well, it has definitely been a journey. Uh, I started off working at the city and county and was volunteering for Special Olympics and was uh, then went to work for another agency for adults with disabilities. And along the line, I shifted over to Hope Center because it was closer and right into the community I grew up in. And uh, I started actually as a bookkeeper at our vocational program for adults with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there became business manager for the agency. And then on that journey, it turned into the deputy director. While I was going on this journey, I had two small kids and my husband. <laughs> I was going back to college trying to get my degree uh, to be eligible for the business manager position. I was able to do that. And then I was able to go on and do my master's in nonprofit uh, as I became the deputy director. And then the last uh about 12 years now as the president and CEO. And when you say what it feels like, when it is such a passion of yours to work in the community you grew up in and for the mission that's just part of my DNA, it was just a natural fit of giving back and loving to work with children, especially children of color, especially African-American children, and know that I would have an impact in their success and their family success is what has always, always got me to say this was the right fit for me, and that's why I'm still here after 36 years. It has grown and involved over the whole period of time I've been in been here and it's been in existence for 55 years so yes so the impact that that you have probably seen take place for the people that you've helped over the years is probably so significant are there any stories that just jump out at you as like just you know an ideal story of how you how the hope center helps someone um so give our listeners an idea of the sorts of things that you do I just think there's many stories, but I remember one is, you know, our children here at our early childhood program are here from two and a half to five, you know, and then they're out the door onto elementary. 
and I had a young man, he was 18, had graduated from high school, went to Hope Center as a preschooler, and walked by the building and saw his picture on display. He was in town, and before I knew it, I was working late, and he had brought his relatives back down here, knocking on the door, asking if he could come in, because that was his picture. And um, just watching him and, and the light on his face and then him talking about he remembered his teachers. He remembered what had happened here. You know, and you think about two and a half to five, you don't think about it that way all the time. The family, certainly you do, the adults and the parents. But when the child comes back and says, you know, they remember the experience, and we've been fortunate, and I've been fortunate to hear a lot of those stories because we now have generations coming to Hope Center over the 55 years of our history. Nice. Nice. And it's even as you were telling that story about his, you know, his expression as he's coming in to see his picture on the wall, it, oh, yeah. I got goosebumps, right? It's like, that's so cool. It's, it's, you know, what an impact that made on that young man's life and all of the lives that you've touched over the many years that the center's been there and the 36 years that you've been there. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's a joy. You know, we have families. We have one family. I think all four of her kids went to Hope Center, and she uh, is now like a parent advocate and helping other parents navigate the system because she had a child here that had special needs, and then she had two, three of them that were gifted. You know, oh, wow. so she had the whole, both sides of the the pole, right? Right. And she keeps in her all of them have graduated, but she keeps in touch with us. She lets us know what she's doing. She refers parents here. She's been a voice in the community for Hope Center. So it's things and moments like that. You say we played a part of that. That's a wonderful feeling. Right. Absolutely. And I think there's so many people that are being called to step up and make a difference in, in, a, in a grassroots kind of way, just like that, just like that woman yeah. is doing. It's, it's so important to, to give back and to make a difference. And, and I know you're a big believer in giving back and making a difference in the world. Um, how, how else are you giving back and making a difference in the world outside of the Hope Center? I know you're, the list of, of awards that you have received over the years is just tremendous. And um, you've been recognized in our, in our community for, for so much giving back. What, what's the spark there that, that helps you stay in that giving back mode? You know, I think really... Uh... I give all credit to my parents. I, I come from a family of seven, and they always taught us to reach back and give, no matter what we had, how small it might be, that we could always share and give back. So I just think it, it, it's really just embedded in me. It's who I am. And the organizations that I have uh, been involved with and taking a role on is because I work a lot with children and youth. That's a passion. And community activism is another passion of mine, it's really being a voice for individuals that might not be at the table, and especially African-Americans, as it relates to the inequities and some of the racism and discrimination that has, you know, 
this country has been built upon and things that many people, many organizations work to make a difference about it. Right, right. And you have a reputation for really being a change maker. And with so many people wanting to affect change in our world today, what advice would you give them? You know, I definitely would give them the advice that it is just absolutely hard work. It is to compromise, but do not compromise yourself. Mm, nice. And it's important to be able to listen to both sides, and it's important to stay at the table. A lot of times we get very discouraged if we fail, and then we just give it up. You might fail, but and it might take five times before you get it through or whatever the issue might be. But if you believe that strong in it, you need to find a way to keep pushing it forward. And stay on the table. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. That's brilliant. That's really good. And as you're as being a leader of the the Hope Center as the CEO and president for the last twelve years. Um, what have you learned as a leader in your organization? And certainly taking that leadership role in our community, what are some of the most important things that you have learned makes a great leader? You know, I think one thing is, is the willingness to be mentored by others before you. Don't come in thinking you know it all and mm-hmm. it hasn't been done before, but really respecting those that were there before you at the table. Um, and also, once again, that listening skill to be able to, to listen to others is part of leadership. Just because you're in a leadership position, you don't have to be out front all the time. You know, you got the workers, the people play all different roles to get things done. Um, And I also think a good uh, leader is somebody that's willing to say, you know, I tried this. This was not the best way to do it. Uh, Learn from it and move on. Um, We got to admit to our mistakes, too. Right. We have to admit when things don't work the way we thought it would work. And we got to be respectful, and trust is a major factor with me. You know, I don't really, I have a lot of patience in my leadership style, but I also, number one is I have to trust you. Oh, you know, yes, yes. I can be patient. I can, I can mentor. I can ha- give that time and frame for somebody to grow into their position or their stand. But that trust factor really plays a major part in it. Absolutely. And if you notice, I didn't say trust factor doesn't mean you have to agree on everything together. <laughs> but trust the fact that you respect the person from their standpoint. Right, right. And you've been able to really create a a center of influence and visibility in your career in in the in Colorado and and in the work that you do. What would you say are some of the most important factors that have helped you gain influence and visibility? Oh. You know, I think influence is comes from when your voice is at the table, people will respect you when you're 
upfront to the point and have factual information or can explain clearly why you take the stand that you take, mm, you know. Good. Um, and I, I think that's something I'm very comfortable in doing it. I won't go just with the flow because that's the comfortable thing to do. Right. I'm going to go with what is right. And sometimes what is right is very uncomfortable to be discussed at the table. But, but then you have the facts behind you, the, the real information that helps support your, your side of things. Yes. You know, and, 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 you know, and the ability to, when you're in conversations with people about something that's very um, sensitive and you have factual information, you, as a leader and as a community person, you got to recognize it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. So don't let people sway you to change the conversation. And that happens a lot in meetings, you know, when something becomes uncomfortable, people want to change the conversation. Right, right. Or or they just kind of back off the conversation and, and let it, mm-hmm. it flow into a different direction. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure, let's talk about fear and courage. And I'm sure over the course of your career, you've had some spaces where you were up in those tough conversations and... And it, it was, there was some fear showing up, right? This fear of, oh gosh, what do I do with this fear? Do I step into this space that feels a little bit scary or do I really pull into my courage and, and, and move forward into it? Can you think, can you tell a story where you've really taken a courageous move in stepping into your fear? You know, I think, I don't know if it calls it fear, but I think, for me, stepping into my role um, on many boards and committees that I've been on is when we discuss racism and inequities on a group of people, whether it's African Americans or Hispanic, that's usually a conversation that can be very fearful because you do not know what kind of retaliation might take place by you bringing it to the table. Mm-hmm. You don't know what other barriers. You don't know if you're going to be blackballed, you know, because a lot of stuff is done behind closed doors. People might on the outside saying, we're so glad you brought that up, and then they go back on the inside, and next thing you know, or I'm not being asked to sit on this or that again. Um, those, those are something that you do have to think about. You have to think about if it's going to impact your mobility within your industry and and, and job setting. Um, but for me, it was always to be being about is this the right thing to do? And if it's not me, then who? And uh, so I can't sit, sit at the table, talk about uh, everything else and not talk about the impact racism and discrimination has had in my life and in the life of uh, many uh, to this day, whether it's in our educational system, our housing situation, our economy, it's everywhere we look, 
You know, we use the kind word of gentrification versus saying we're talking about white folks moving in primarily people of color neighborhoods and the people of color being displaced. But we call it gentrification because that sounds better. Right. Right. So being able to say those, call things for what they are. Yes. And that takes courage, right? It takes courage, but if you know it's the right thing, you know, I stand on the shoulders of many others before me because they were willing to say, this is what needs to happen and we need to speak out on it. Right. Right. So standing on the shoulders of others before you, knowing what, what have others before you really taught you? Who, so who are some of your mentors that, that, you know, you look to and you say, gosh, look what they did. And now I can keep doing this. Who, who are some of those people? Well, number one, just absolutely is my mother and father coming mm-hmm. out of Mississippi and knowing what they did to survive to make sure the seven of us not only have roofs over our head, either one of them were able to go to college and then the educational process was so important to them for us to get. You know, um, so those are my first and be my foremost. And then I have mentors like Mr. George Brantley, who was the executive director for Hope Center for 41 years. Mm-hmm. I was new into the field of early childhood. I had a management background, and he was the one that really mentored me in regards to early childhood development, uh, et cetera, uh, and was willing to do that, not just me as a employee of Hope Center, but also mentor me because he knew where and my desire to go um, and was to run and be in charge of a nonprofit. Um, you know, my sisters and my brother, you know, they all give back and we kind of chuckle. They say, I'm the one that took off, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but they all, they all give back. But, um, and always there to support me. Every venture, ups and downs, they they just always been there. That's and awesome. Then you, you talk about people like Honorable Wilma Webb and Gloria Tanner and Sharon Bailey. These are some people I I know directly, and I you know. Uh, being younger and watching what they, you know, I think about uh, Honorable Wilma Webb and her journey with the Martin Luther King holiday, you know, committed and fought for it until it became a holiday in Colorado, you know. Um, and then there's people people might have never heard of, you know. Uh, Wilma Taylor was uh, president of the Colorado Black Women for Political Action. And uh, when I got involved with that organization, um, she taught me a lot about the politics and um, um, the way to approach to try to bring changes within the political arena. You know, well, it's so important to it's so important to have mentors in our life and 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 people that we can learn from and grow from. Um, Who do do you help mentor today? Well, I you know many have said that I have helped mentor. I have more people that come up there and say you're my mentor. Sometimes you don't (laughs) even know that, you know. But I I think about Sherilyn McHugh, and and she was the former alumni director for Metro State College. And um, me and her have many talks and stuff about, you know, just 
leadership and management and supervision. I have an individual here at my agency that started as a high school um, um, graduate, as an office manager here at Hope Center, no degrees, et cetera. She had a dream. Um, we worked together, and now she's the CEO of Hope Center and has a master's in business administration. Nice. Something did not think was going to happen, but she says, because of me and my commitment, I just really felt like I saw the motivation and the drive in her, and she just needed the opportunity to be able to demonstrate it and get some support. Nice. Um, so what makes a good mentor relationship? You know, I think that's something I often hear with my clients that they're looking, they want to help mentor someone or they want to find a mentor in a different realm. Um, what makes a great mentor in your in your viewpoint? I do think it depends on what arena you're in because I mentor, I, I'm a volunteer for the Falcons Youth Organization for the last 45 years of young boys from 4 to 14. That mentoring is different than the mentoring I would do with the individual I just spoke of at right. here at my agency. But I think part of mentorship is role modeling listening, providing resources, opportunities, um, being able to be straight with a person when, when something is not quite right, don't sugarcoat it, let them know because that's how you learn. Right. You know, uh, right. so being direct and upfront with people as well. And sometimes it means as a mentor, depending on what relationship you're having with the individual, is letting go of power. You know, sometimes we feel mm, like if we great. share too much with people, then we lose our power. We lose our status. That's great. That's a really good letting go of the power and being in the space. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, Jerry, what is the legacy you want to be known for? Oh, gee. I just, <laughs> me, uh, I, I know, I guess I just think about more of my, I have 16 grandkids and nine wow. great grandkids and a host of niece and nephews coming from a large family. And it's important for me to say, uh, uh, as an African American, I did what I said I would do and never gave up and always try to reach back for others to bring them along, mm. um, trying to provide the old opportunity and space for people to learn, grow, and have opportunity. Nice. And may we all do that. I think that's a beautiful legacy to want to leave, to be known for, and to always reach out and help people up in, in whatever way that we can. Yeah. So a final question for us today is what three pearls of wisdom can you leave our audience? I probably would say um, Never, ever think your voice should not be heard and speak up and speak up often because mm. so often people will tell you your voice is not important. People will overlook what you said and move to another. So never let somebody not hear your message and never let somebody change what your message was. 
Nice. Um, I say believe, I also believe that the role of a woman is no less than a man. The role of a man is no less than a woman. What I mean by that, instead of us pitting against each other, this group should do this and this, we should really be working collectively together at all times. Yes. Um, and if we have our issues uh, of disparities between male and female, then we need to be working on it together as male and female. Um, and I would always say for people to get involved with whatever that passion you have, Get involved. Make a difference, whether it's within your church, within your school, within your neighborhood, or on a broader basis. You're a politician, whatever it is. That's your passion. But most important is to get involved with it. That's beautiful. And bring, al and bring along others on the journey. That's beautiful. And thank you for those, Jerry. I really appreciate that. Thank you for your time today. This is, I, I know our audience is going to enjoy your wisdom and congratulations again for being an inductee to the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame this next year. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGilman.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.